How are you? I'm excellent. All right? Except my notes just left my tablet. Come back, please. There we go. But it'd be short service without the tablet, right? Good to be here. It's really good to be here. You know, it's a funny thing. Uh, this is my third service at your church, which was uh, really, it's a real privilege to any time uh, a church invites me to speak, uh, I consider it a privilege. I also realize every time a church invites me to speak that uh, God's got a heck of a sense of humor. Um, basically, uh, because for a long time in my life, uh, I wasn't saved. Not only wasn't I saved, uh, I was a hater of God. Not only was I a hater of God, but I really hated Christians, like a lot, like a lot, lot. Like if I knew you were a Christian and I could trip you up, I thought that was fun. It's like if I could get you high, if I could get you drunk, if I could get you to compromise your values, I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Um, I grew up like that. I grew up uh, with substance in my life. I grew up, went to a good school. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Went to Duquesne University was an investment banker, actually vice president of municipal trading for a brokerage firm down in Pittsburgh, and had all the things, cars, all the stuff you get, money, places to go, things like that, and I was absolutely miserable, horribly miserable, angry. I was an angry guy. Could you imagine a guy my size being angry? <laughs> Not really a good thing, you know, and depressed and alcoholic addicted, drug addicted, all this stuff, right? And so as my life was spiraling out of control in the late 80s, I came to a point where I almost ended my life. I almost committed suicide. I came very, very close to committing suicide. As a matter of fact, I was in the process of ending my life when I said this simple thing. And I'm, and I'm telling you, that it'll, it'll all tie in. But I said this simple thing. I said, as I was in the process of doing what I was going to do, out of nowhere, I had this idea, and I said this simple thing. I said, God, if you exist, help me. God, if you exist, help me. I have no idea to this day why I said it, except God had mercy on a wicked person like me. And the moment I said that, the compulsion to hurt myself was lifted, and I didn't kill myself. Obviously, I'm here, which is pretty cool. You know, at least I think it's cool. And so... All of a sudden, my life was radically altered. Not because I was saved, because I wasn't saved, because if I would have died from that point till I became saved, I would have gone to hell. Because I didn't invite Christ in my life. I didn't even know who Jesus Christ really was. I didn't have an understanding of the Bible. But the problem with it was is I couldn't be an atheist anymore. Because I said, God, if you exist, help me. So I therefore couldn't look at anybody and say, I don't believe in God. But I didn't know who God was. Long, short, went to a church for a friend of mine. Um, after a little while, came to understand how much Christ loved me, gave my life to Christ, surrendered my life, confessed myself a sinner, said, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior, and I got saved, which was really cool because now I know I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven, which is really saucy, right? You know, because we say that stuff, right? You know, people say, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And then like, oh, what's on TV? You, you know what I'm saying? And like, that's really deep. Like I'm going to heaven. Like a wicked little sinner like me. I'm going to heaven. And so 
the church I got saved at, they had this street ministry. And they invited me to go out on it early in, early in my salvation. Let me tell you, anybody here that you're young as a Christian, don't buy into the conventional thought that you have to grow and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. You'll mature. Go get busy. Paul did, right? Paul got saved. He didn't wait six years. You know, so I got involved. Well, this place it was like a SWAT team. These guys were like a SWAT team for Christ. They had this van that got down into Pittsburgh and where I was from, and they'd go in the worst parts of Pittsburgh, and they'd pull up, and there'd be drug dealers and prostitutes and alcoholics, and they'd jump out of the van and be like, hey, Juan, hey, Carlos, you need Jesus Christ. I've been saved for like a couple of weeks, and I was standing in the back of the van going, oh, would you, would you like a piece of fruit? <laughs> you know, like Billy Graham had no worries at all with me, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. When I did it, all of a sudden I realized Something was going on with me and Jesus. And, and, and you know, that's one of the things we're going to talk about because it's Compassion Sunday, it's Mission Sunday. And I knew Jesus had been merciful to me, but I needed to understand it deeper. And by being active in that, I became deeper involved. As a matter of fact, it was the catalyst for me to come and be an inner city missionary. So Christ used that time to teach me. And, this is my third rescue mission. If you don't know what a gospel rescue mission is, I've already met some folks that know me. And there's, yeah, Give it up for your camera people and lighting people, by the way. I've made their life a living Hades this week. I'm a wanderer. I'm a wanderer. They had to tape me down. There's two white marks. They had to tape me down. I can't leave the white marks. They've come up to me. They said, the camera guy over there is just, you know, he's trying to keep up with you. So you guys, they do a really, sometimes you don't realize how good of a job your support your lighting, your, your camera people, your mic people, what they're doing. They work really hard. Believe me, they're going to be exhausted after this morning. So, so, right, so that's what got me into rescue ministry. And a gospel rescue mission is this. A gospel rescue mission is a place where down in Providence, we're in the West End, we're on Cranston Street in the West End, 627 Cranston Street. If you haven't been there, go during the daytime. Better than at nighttime. It's, 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 we're in the mix. We're down where it's serious. We're down where there's people die, where there's drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes. And what we do is our mission statement is, is we're there to reach the urban centers of Rhode Island with the gospel of Jesus Christ while providing for their physical, emotional, spiritual, rehabilitative, and educational needs at no charge to them. We don't charge any money, and we don't take any government money. We're what's called a faith-based gospel rescue mission. What that means is we believe our father, my father, has more money than the government. Not a bad deal. We believe our father, I believe my father, cares about the poor, and he's going to take care of things. And he does. Quick story. You guys don't realize it, but you now support the mission in a major way. And we're thankful to it. Your leadership came down to the mission. We met each other about a year ago, I think at a Connect Fest concert. Was that it? They put my tent. We had a connect. I was so resentful to God at this one. <laughs> I'm old, man. I'm 55, and almost 55, and they put our table where the speed metal mosh pit was right, and I'm listening to this music for like hours, and I just wanted to bang my head against the post. You know, and I said, man, God, why did you put our table here? This is horrible. And we met your leadership last year. Now, I, I still thought it was horrible. After, I liked them. 
I couldn't figure out what they were doing over by the mosh pit. No, they weren't there. They were wandering through. But I still couldn't figure out, wow, God, over there. Well, here recently, they contacted me, and they said, hey, we want to come and visit the mission. So they came down. Your pastor came down. Shane, some others came down toward the mission. Saw what we did. Got excited. And you guys have made a commitment. You've given us $3,000 currently. I just got a... I didn't lose the check. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to do is lose the check. That would be bad. Um, and you're supporting us monthly for $1,000 a month. So thank you. Your tithes and offerings are going directly to care for the poor and the homeless. Now that's really cool, and, and I, I can't thank you enough because... We believe that we should be a faith-based ministry. We believe that we should trust God to motivate, to move, and to do, and we've seen it. But it's gotta be done the right way, right? Because we're talking about compassion, and we're talking about what is compassion, and how do we motivate for compassion? And, and I wanna move over that way in a second, but at the mission, it belongs to the, not only to what we do, but the mission really belongs to the church. The mission is a place where we primarily have volunteers come, church members come, and they want to be part of reaching the lost with the gospel. So the, right now, I'll be out at the foyer afterwards, but right now, understand, you can come, get involved at the mission 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because we never close. We're always open. So you can come and check it out. The first two services, people come, say, can we come down? Can we visit? Can we do? The answer is yes, you can do. What can we do? I don't know. I've learned that lesson. I don't know. Oh, good, they didn't put the time clock up. We are here. Shane, ah, oh, you just put it up. Really? <laughs> Snap. So anyhow, quick story on that, why I don't tell people what they can do at a mission. Preaching at a church like this, got done, went in the foyer, a couple comes out. They said, I would like to come to the mission. I said, oh, that'd be great. They said, what can we do there? I said, I don't know. I said, come and pray and see what God wants you to do. They came, they ended up to be a husband and wife that were dentists. They were dentists, Right? And they started coming to the mission, and they built a dental office in the mission. They went out, and they raised $150,000 on their own, cash and equipment. We built it two, two examination rooms, four years, the whole nine yards, and we do restorative dental work. We, we rebuild people's mouths because part of compassion is dignity, and part of dignity is being able to equip people to do what they want to do, and you can't get a good job today if you have broken teeth and, and black gaps in your mouth. You're never going to get hired, so they put it all together. They run it. They bring all the dentists, all the oral surgeons, all the hygienists. This year, we'll do over $400,000 worth of pro bono dental care to the poor. It's really cool, right? Yeah, it's praise God. We run a, we run a discipleship program for men and women, but for the men... And new guys always like to see how serious they are about Jesus when they're in the chair for the first time. I walk in, and I say to Dr. Gene, is, is, that, is he ready? They go, yes, and I walk in like I'm going to do their teeth and see if they really trust God. It really messes with their head. It's, it's not good, but I love it. Um, but so, and, and we feed. We do chaplain dinner every night. We shelter every night. Um, we have uh, high school education versus GED that we do. We give away clothing, we reach out of the street, we run the largest prison ministry in Rhode Island, I think. Uh, we have our Learning to Live initiative up at the ACI. We have over 200 inmates on our program with 250 in, uh, on the waiting list to get on it. We're in every prison building from minimum to supermax. 
Uh, and we do a whole lot of stuff. And, it, and you can get involved, and we want you involved because that's the main reason why I'm here. The main reason why I'm here is to challenge you to change your view on what compassion is, how God looks at it, and how we should look at it. Because quite honestly, isn't how God looks at it the way we should look at it, right? Like, whatever God says, I'm real simple. I look at the Bible, you know, I've heard this phrase, uh, God says it, I believe it, that settles it, right? I think that's stupid. <laughs> I'll tell you why, I do, I think it's stupid. It doesn't really matter if I believe it or not, if God says it, it's settled, right? Like, God doesn't say, hey, Sean, are you okay if I put this in the Bible? I don't want to offend you. So what God says, I kind of take the Bible literally. What God says, I believe it, and that's, you know, that's the way it is. And so I want to get into that. I want to get into that today about compassion. I want us to start looking at compassion maybe a little bit differently than we have in the past. I know in 20, almost 25 years of street ministry, inner city missionary, the view of compassion in my life has changed over the years and for the better. And so I want to share out of that. So we need to define compassion if we can, if we can all kind of have a general idea. I'm going to put something out there and see if you agree with it. I better put my glasses on because I can't see. Hold on. Oh, there's that check. God, love that check. I'll put it back here, see if it stays in that pocket. Okay. There we go. Oh, I can read. Okay. So let's talk about this. What is compassion? What is compassion? I got a simple definition that I like to use. Compassion is doing something or helping somebody without them having to ask you. You're giving them something that they need, that they want, or sometimes they don't even know that they want it, but they need it, and when you give it to them, you give it to them freely, and it affects their lives. I, I love the video that was up. I've watched, this is the third time I've watched the video, and every time I watch it, it's moving to me. And the thing that moves me the most is there's one kid, uh, he's got a blue like sweatshirt on, and, and you see a lot of the kids they have, I've got four kids, so I've seen this, uh, they have the snot running down their nose and the, and the stream right here, and you know they've been crying, and he's, he's got the snot running down his nose, he still has the tears, but he's not crying anymore because in his left hand, he's got a piece of rice, right? So we can pretty much evaluate that before he had that piece of rice, he was crying because he was hungry. And somebody came and they gave him a piece of rice and a piece of bread or whatever, and he had eaten that and he had stopped crying because somebody had compassion because they gave him something that he needed that he couldn't get by himself and they gave it to him freely. So can we agree basically that's the idea of compassion? Okay, great, we can move on then. So if we look at that, then let's start talking about compassion from God's view. When we look in the Bible, I see compassion from God's view on two levels. I see there's a physical compassion, but I also see there's a spiritual compassion. And we're going to talk about both. And what we're going to see is how they tie together and what our role is in that. So we're going to look at physical compassion first. So if you've got your Bible, uh, open it up, Matthew 25. We're going to be looking at verses 34 to 40, 34 to 40. And um, we're going to go over, go over a couple of things here. And so... In Matthew 25, 34, Jesus says, he says, um, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you have been blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hold on. Come, you who, I don't want to go over the tape. Come, you who have been blessed by my father to inherit the kingdom of the world. I got a kingdom. You didn't know, I'm rich. 
My father's giving me a kingdom. I'm part of the kingdom. I'm inheriting a kingdom. That's pretty good. You guys up? You awake? You get a kingdom. You're going to a kingdom. You're not going to a condominium. You're not going to a timeshare. Right? We're going to a kingdom. I don't mean to break it to you, but if you read the Bible a little more, there's things called streets paved with gold. Right? All right? I want to see that. I want to see the crystal throne. Thank you very much. I really would like to see the river of life. I'm in. That's where we're going. But it's interesting because it says this. He says that you, this kingdom has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Interestingly, Jesus says, come and inherit this kingdom that your father's prepared for you because. Because is a conditional statement. Because means something's been added if you're not careful here, if you look at this. So it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, well, you're getting all this because you did these things. I want to tell you right now, that's not what it says. I'm not a works-oriented salvation guy. Our works don't keep, that's not how salvation works. Salvation's a gift. But we have to start thinking about, why does Jesus say because? Why does Jesus say because? That means you've done something. He, he's basically saying to those that have inherited, that are inherited the kingdom, that you've done this. You've fed the poor. You've clothed the naked. You've gone into prison and visited people. You've invited strangers into your house. Well, have we done that? We have to think that's a personal question because it says we're going to do it. And then the question is, is why are we doing that? And we're going to talk about that. Why I know before I was saved, truthfully, honestly, truthfully, the only reason why I would have helped you or done anything for you before I was saved was if I was going to get something that I wanted. I never did anything unselfishly before salvation. And that's a hard statement, but it's a true statement. A lot of us like to think, or a lot of us say, you ever hear this about somebody that's not saved? Well, they're basically a good person. No, they're not. They're not a good person. They're a wicked person. Before salvation, we're wicked. Before salvation, we're at enmity with God. I, it's not, I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. The, the Bible says, Paul writes, he goes, in Romans, Paul writes in Romans 7, he goes, there's no good thing in me. He says, I know there's no good thing in me. So if there's no good thing in me, how can I be a good person before salvation? How can I be okay? And the reason why I bring that up is a lot of times in the modern church, we're, we, we tend to think like that, and we hear a lot of authors writing about that, and we read a lot of books like that, that, you know, you just have to, you know, get around somebody, and, and they're basically good people, and if you can just love on them a little bit, they'll get saved. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus told the truth of his word. Jesus was compassionate, Absolutely was compassionate. There was nobody more compassionate than Jesus. But Jesus told the truth of his word. Jesus said, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes before me. No man comes to the Father except through me. Period. End of story. There's no other question. There's no debate. Nothing else works. I tell people all the time, people say, well, will all roads lead to, lead to God? They do. It's true. All, all religions lead to God. They do. The difference is there's only one religion that God looks at, one relationship that God looks at and says, you're my child. All the rest of the religions lead to God. And he goes, oh, I don't know you. And then there's this place called the lake of fire that you get cast into. It's pretty saucy stuff. But as a body of believers, we need to start being who we are and what we are to the people around us. We have to be transparent. We have to be real. 
we have to come to the point of what compassion is. Because when we look at the physical compassion, the reason why we do physical compassion is because of Christ in us. If Paul writes, therefore, now there is no good in me, how is it possible? What Paul's saying is that when we get saved, the power of Christ is released in us. When you were born, when I was born, when we were created, Christ put things in us that he wanted to use for his glory. How do I know this? The Bible says that everything was made was made by him and through him, and all things are held together by him. So that means that when you were created, when I was created, and the psalmist writes, he says that you were made marvelously. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. So we know that Christ took particular care with each one of us when he created us. And he put in, him, put in us qualities of Christ to be used by him to be compassionate to the unsaved, to be compassionate to the poor that his power let out, right? Check that out, pretty good deal, right? So people all the time, I hear people say, well, I'm just praying for God to give me some gifts to go out and do some work. That's a lie. He already put it in you. The only thing that you and I need to be saying to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, what do you want out of me that you put in me when you created me to reach the poor, to reach the people that need compassion to get saved? You've been created to do great things by Christ. Christ created you for that. Christ didn't create anybody to be mediocre. I don't care what anybody says. It's not there. Jesus is not a mediocre God. Jesus doesn't create mediocre stuff. Look at an ant. You ever look at an ant? Ants fascinate me. Everything, you ever see an ant? Ants can carry like a gazillion times their weight somewhere. That's phenomenal to me. Like they can carry, an ant can pick up, I've always watched it, see like some dead caterpillar, right? And see this ant, and I think of like a, like a Looney's Tune cartoon, like Warner Brothers, like, you know, he's been at the gym and he grabs that thing and he just takes it wherever he wants. That'd be like me taking a minivan putting it on my shoulders and bringing it, I don't feel like driving it today, I'll just walk it home, right? God doesn't even create ants mediocre. That's a phenomenal concept. I don't know the exact number because I'm not a scientist, I have no memory because I did a lot of drugs before I got saved. So I can't tell you how many times, people say, well, how many times, have, what, what's the weight ratio that an ant picks up? I don't know, Google it. We have technology today, I don't need to know that. What I know is, is when you look at an ant that's this big and you look at a caterpillar that's this big and the ant has that big caterpillar on his back walking, that's a phenomenal concept. And what I'm saying to you is that if God did that with an ant, what the heck has he done with us? Right? See, a lot of us are sitting here, and I'm guilty of it. And when I talk to, by the way, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm guilty. That's the worst part about preaching. The worst part about preaching is, is that you're guilty of everything you preach about, so you can't take any, like, you can't let everybody, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. She's, oh, that's why I have you given the message. You need it more than anybody else, pal. Thanks, God. But think about it. We're created to do phenomenal things. We're created to do things that were never done by anybody else. And think about this. When you add physical compassion, physical compassion is cool. Anybody can do physical compassion, right? And you can go up, you can come down to the mission, you can give out a piece of bread, you can give out a plate of food. You can see a guy that's standing there with a sign, hungry, please help me, pull over. Say, hey, there's a subway uh, two doors down, come inside, I'll buy you lunch, I'll, sit, you know, I'll give you lunch. That's all cool. But here's the problem with doing that just alone. The problem with doing compassion things on a physical level is that most of us in our flesh like doing it because it makes us feel good, Right? Like when you do something for somebody, it makes you feel good. Well, the Bible says this simple thing. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. 
And don't look for people around you to praise you because if you do that, you've already received your reward. <laughs> that's, a, that's like trading like, uh, I like to eat, it's obvious. Um, that'd be like trading like a rack of baby back ribs, a pulled pork smoked barbecue sandwich, french fries, and maybe some beef brisket for like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Not a good deal, right? So how do we balance that? Well, the way we balance it is, is we look at what's really important to God. And what we're going to look at to be really important to God is this compassion thing, is the spiritual component of compassion. People don't realize, we've already established, right, everybody with me, physical compassion comes from Christ in us, not our own anymore. So we can never take, take for credit anything we ever do to anybody because before we were saved, we wouldn't have helped anybody. We would have walked over them to get to our car and we wouldn't have cared less. And if we did help them, the only reason why we helped them is because we wanted to feel good or get something out of it. That's just real baseline, okay? But the spiritual component of compassion, we find and we see, I'm a, I'm a sports fan, um, love football. It was a real privilege. Uh, I was here last night. There was somebody here that used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so, you know, that was almost deity to me. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't. But love, love grew up watching football, playing football, being part of football, hockey, love that stuff, right? But I remember in football, and like I said, I'm in my mid-50s, so the Steelers really had it going on in the mid-70s, right? And I used to watch, I still watch football a lot, but back then you used to see right before somebody would kick a field goal or kick an extra point, right? There'd be this cat with this rainbow afro. Anybody remember that? And it'd hold up a big sign, right? And every game, and I used to think to myself, because remember, I wasn't a Christian back then. I said, that's the stupidest thing I ever saw. That guy just likes to be on TV, I used to say to everybody. Look at that guy. But the question is, anybody know, hold up a sign all the time, what did the sign say? John 3.16, right? John 3.16. And everybody knows that verse. We all, everybody knows John 3.16. I mean, that's the verse, right? That is the if you're going to pick a mainline Bible verse out of the four Gospels, John 3.16, everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoa, hold on a second. Should not perish. Should not perish. God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hold on a second, that means you're perishing. Now, when, we saw, when you saw the Compassion International video, were you moved by those children? Did that move you? Did that, did that stir your spirit? Did, did you go, oh my gosh. Like, did you want to say, wait a second. You know, I was like, if I had my checkbook, it was like, here, just take the checkbook. <laughs> just... Just take it, buy them some shirts, you know, they need it, food, do whatever they want. Why? Because if they don't get help, if those children don't get help, and let me tell you something, Compassion International is a wonderful organization. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I'm all about it, but understand this. What's going to happen to those little kids if somebody doesn't help them? Are they going to McDonald's? Are they going home? Is mom cooking them something to eat? What's going to happen to them? We have to say it. What's going to happen to them? They're gonna die. They're gonna die, right? So if people don't step in to help those children, they're gonna die. Now that's heavy, but it's real. So for us to give, we're going to say, you know what, uh, I, can, I can do without something and I can write a check to them. I can give something to them that was mine. I can 
you know, sacrifice, if you will, something that will help somebody else because God would want me to do that, and, and it's important, right? So that sacrifice is important, and it's a priority. Okay, jump back into John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Freely gave his son to do what? Die for our sins as a sinner. The only reason why in 1990, in January of 1990, my life changed is because I was able to say, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me, for Sean, and I invite you into, the, into my life. I confess myself a sinner. I repent. I will receive that gift of what you did on that cross and rising three days later, and I want to be born again. And I was saved, and my life's changed. God's desire for spiritual compassion is the greatest desire. The gospel is the most important thing because people are perishing. Would you agree with me that the world's screwed up today? I mean, does anybody think the world's good? Like, you're sitting there going, especially in our country right now, would you look at our country right now and go, yeah, baby, oh, I love where the social morals and value in our country's going right now. Who's with me? Man, it's a mess. Isn't it? It's a mess. They're putting stuff on TV and the movies, on the radio. Goodness, good night, nurse. They're, they're, they're changing and corrupting everything, right? And so as an individual, we might say, well, we've got to change this. We've got to make our voice known. We, we've got to say, stop that. No. We have to go share the gospel with people we know that are living in that confusion and they think it's okay, or they think that's all it is, because they're perishing. They're going to hell. Without Christ in your life, you go to hell. We as a body of believers have had the privilege to get an opportunity. Think back. Who shared the gospel with you? Who told you about Jesus? You didn't get it through osmosis. Somebody had to have prompted you. God used somebody to prompt you to realize, hey, I'm missing out on the good stuff. Hey, I, I, I didn't know God loved me. I, I, I didn't know there was another option because you were bombarded with the world. That compassion in our town, that compassion in our community, that compassion around the world, that's what changes things. Jesus Christ is the only one that can change a person. Nobody could change me back in 1989, 1990. My mother, my God loved my mother. She watched me, and, and I can only imagine the things she, the emotional roller coaster she went on with me for 19 years of addiction. And you don't think if she could have changed me, you don't think if she could have locked me in a room, given me something, a pill or something, do something, she would have done anything for me not to live like that. And when I got saved, you know what my mother said to me? Powerful verse, powerful thing. A couple of months after I got saved, first she was scared because. My mother loves the Lord, but she's a devout Roman Catholic. And, and it, this is not a, a rap on Roman Catholics. It's just how she is. So she's very traditional. If you go to a Roman Catholic church, it's very, very traditional. It's very stoic and straightforward. And so I get saved, and I'm, you can tell I'm really not a calm person. <laughs> you know, like people said to me when I got saved, they said, when you mature, you'll calm down. I've never calmed down. I'm not going to calm down. 
and I'll tell you why in a second, because I got eight minutes and two seconds. Um, seven minutes and 58. Uh, but my mom was afraid of me a little bit, because she thought, she, my mother said to me when I got baptized, which I saw that up on the screen, which is a really cool thing to do. If you haven't gotten baptized, go get baptized, because that's really, really cool, because that's like the first step of Christ just kind of like taking to a new place. It's not that it saves you more or anything like that, but when obedience with God really kind of sets your life free, it's really cool, so go get baptized. So I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I'm getting baptized. And she says, Sean, I hope you're not joining a cult. <laughs> but when we got to talk, because I was up in New York at the time, when we got to talk, my mom saw a difference in me, and she said, Sean, she goes, I want you to know I'm really happy with you, and I'm really glad to see what's happening in your life because I love you. And she says, I, couldn't, I watched your life spin out of control. And she says, I couldn't change you. The only thing I could do is pray for you. And she said, your, my prayers have been answered. You're the son I always hoped for. That was deep for me, right? So we don't know those people. But here's the thing. As I wind it down, I want to combine now the idea of physical compassion with spiritual compassion. Because that's the basis for why I'm excited. The reason why I'm so, like, jittery, and I'll be out there, believe me. Anybody, Shane, have, you, you've been with me for, this is the third service, right? Have I calmed down at all? No. I won't come down. And I'll tell you why I won't come down. Because when you combine physical compassion with spiritual compassion, you get to witness and be, experience miracles. You get to witness and experience miracles. If you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the disciples, they were a screwed up bunch of people. No, no, seriously, those boys were a mess. As a matter of fact, if Jesus would be evaluated, if Jesus would have been evaluated on his leadership capabilities when the three and the third years that he had the, four, the 12 disciples with him, if like a church group would have said, if he would have been, his job was to go out and develop uh, uh, these people into disciple makers of, 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 of furthering the gospel and stuff like that, he would have gotten pretty failed marks probably by the, like, the church leadership, right? You know, one, one turned him in, one denied him three times, and the rest of them scattered like leaves, right? And the question is, why is that? Because they saw, for three and a third years, they saw miracles and signs and wonders that none, nobody's ever seen before. I mean, think about it. They saw people raised from the dead. A guy by the name of Lazarus comes to mind. They saw Jesus take control of the winds and the water. They saw Jesus feed thousands with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. They saw people, they saw a man with a legion of demons um, healed. By the way, a legion is a Roman term, a uh, military term. It means the number of troops in a legion. Uh, historians say the number of troops in a legion is somewhere between four and 8,000. So that man, if you read that in the Gospels, where the man possessed with a legion of demons, he wasn't a man that was possessed. He was a condominium complex for the demonic, right? Four to 8,000 demons lived in that boy. They had their own little, you know, I got a room for the, through the eye, you know, kind of a thing. But so they saw all these things. But yet when push came to shove, they had no fortitude to stand with the gospel. Interesting, isn't it? But after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they started to deal with compassion on a spiritual level, mixing it with physical compassion, the power of Christ came out of them, and they weren't witnesses to miracles anymore, they were participants in miracles. Thank you. Yes, it is. So much so that these 12 men, except for the one that hung himself, Judas, so the 11 men, Peter, the worst denier, became the early leader of the Jewish church, the Jewish Christian church, right? That all of these men gratefully and gladly and with power and might 
laid down their lives as martyrs for Christ. With the exception of John, he perished on an island in isolation. So my question is, is how did they go from the, they saw, wouldn't you think, seeing all these great things that, that stand with Christ? Now, we read about those great things. You've, you've probably heard great things. You've probably heard great testimonies. You've seen videos. You've heard preachers. You go, wow, that's great. They've told you about the great things Christ has done. Hearing it and experiencing it and partnering with it are two different things. And what I'm saying to you, the reason why I'm so excited is I get to see miracles every day. By combining physical compassion with spiritual compassion, with the focus of the gospel for the unsaved while providing for their needs, Christ changes me, and he changes me every day. Finish up with an example of this. There's a fella that's finishing our discipleship program. He's been going back in our discipleship program for five or six plus years. We never give up on a guy. They'll come into our program. They'll do well for a while. They fade away. They come back. We just, Jesus never gave up on me. I'm not going to give up on them. It's just how we roll. But this guy, he belongs to an organ. He grew up. He got involved in an organized gang, a seriously organized uh, gang. He was kind of like an enforcer for the gang. He's tatted with the gang. He spent more time in jail than I can imagine. Comes to our program, goes out of our program, comes to our program, goes out of our program. Recently came to me and he says, can I talk to you, Mr. Sean? I said, absolutely, you can talk to me. I said, what's up? He goes, I want you to know that I finally got it. I got it. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, "Um, my life's changed. He said, I'm graduating the program. I'm going to culinary school. He says, I'm going to go and work in a restaurant. I said, let me ask you, what's your dream? What's your desire? He says, someday I know God's going to let me open up a restaurant because that's my dream. And so I'm ready to wait for Jesus to do that. I'm just going to be about his business until he calls me to do that. What a miracle, right? He went from being a drug addict, street um, gang member, prison in and out, being saved. And it took a while, but we stayed with him. And Christ changed him. You're invited to do that. I'll be in the back over in the foyer. You can come over and talk to me. Love to talk to you. But God bless you guys. Be blessed. Be active. See miracles in your life. God bless you. Thank you.